So yeah, Steve and Suzanne Mickle are our friends. They pastor the West Side Church in Bend, Oregon. Um, I don't know if any of you ever heard of Bend. Uh, it's a little town. It's, it's a little ways from here. Uh, so <laughs> uh, anyway, they have been uh, walking with us, and Steve has been able to spend some time with Kate and I in our process and, and sharing with us his story and his life of walking through some deep loss and while also leading a church and pastoring and leading a community. And so um, with, our, uh, with our story and what we've been walking through, it's been amazing to have him to lean on. And, and, and so when we were looking at this season of lament and how do we, how do we wrap this up? You know, because you don't just go, hey, good job. You guys came to three or four Sundays uh, on lament and now we're better and we're all moving forward. Like, how do we really just walk out of this well while also understanding that we're not walking out of any of this. And so um, we looked at the calendar and we were able to have invite Steve to come on this particular Sunday. I think this is going to be an incredible way that God is going to lead us um, in lament, but also into deep thanksgiving as we walk into the into this week ahead. And we will be praying for you guys. I want to say this before Steve comes up. We will be praying for you guys, and we ask that you be praying for our family. Thanksgiving, we know that holidays and all of that brings up so many different layers of things and so much pain sometimes and difficulty and hurt. So let's lift each other up and let's partner with one another. Just be praying for each other, and, and we're, we'll be praying that over your thanksgiving. And so, um, Okay, so Steve, come on up, my friends. Come and share with us your heart. Yeah. Hey, everybody. It's really great to be here. I've never spoken in the round, so here we go. I like it so much. Uh, Pastor Bo uh, was here a couple weeks back. She's on my team at Bend, and we so she she uh, she coached me a little bit about the round, pre- preaching in the round. So I think I'm prepared to make eye contact with every single person. Some of the guys are, please, please don't, please don't make eye contact with me. Some of the guys are like thinking that right now. But anyways, um, it really is a joy to be with you. I have been watching the messages, so I've been journeying with you um, through this series, um, just listening to each message and preparing my own spirit, my own heart for being with you today and sharing a little bit of my story. Um, And as I've been watching this series, it reminds me because my church went through a a similar season um, it was a lot longer than four or five weeks, I'll tell you that. It was four or five years, to be honest. Um, but um, I realized that it's, it's, as hard as it is for pastors and speakers to speak on lament, it's even harder for people in the pew um, to process it, to, to, to open yourselves up, especially in the church. The church, not just this church, but the church, it's so hard um, to be vulnerable because people have done that in the past and been hurt by churches. And so when when you're invited to come and bring your stuff with you and to be open with God and others, um, it it can be a very very risky thing to do. And so I just want to commend you for doing that, um, for being vulnerable enough. And this is such a safe place. I can feel it just as soon as I walked in and knowing Ryan and Kate. And I just love your pastors. They are absolutely incredible gift to this church, this community. And seriously, and just... Knowing what they've been walking through, I just, our hearts are, I was, I was actually scheduled to speak somewhere else today, and I, as soon as Ryan mentioned it, he didn't know that I was scheduled to speak somewhere else on this date, but when he asked me to speak on this, here I just, my spirit was like, yes, you have to, so <laughs> that's an awkward conversation with the other guy, you know what I'm saying, but uh, Keith Jenkins up in Gresham was so gracious, um, just said, yeah, he loves Ryan and Kate, and he's like, do it, you got to be there, so I was, shout out to Keith Jenkins for letting me be here, and just so good. Let me off the hook there. But um, as I think about the message that Ryan and Kate spoke a few weeks back when they first presented this to the congregation, 
They said lament is exercising our ability to feel sadness and grief by giving time, space, voice, and expression to our deep sorrow over pain, loss, and disappointment. So we're going to talk one more time about that. And and I just want to encourage you to keep leaning into this. As you'll see, it's become a lifestyle for me um, that's not sad. It's not a sad lifestyle, but it's a, a lifestyle of lament. Um, I want to show you how you can experience joy in the midst of, of lament. I have four sons. I was looking over here, uh, counting them right here. I think they're four sons, and I just, I just loving that picture. Mine are all old <laughs> comparatively, and I, I have four sons. And so when they turned twelve, um, I decided like I wanted a tradition of like something that would be a marker for them. So when they turned 12, I called it a hike to manhood um, and we would climb the South Sister. I don't know if some of you are familiar with the Cascade Range uh, in Central Oregon. It's about a mountain of 10,000 feet. And, uh, and so every, when they turned 12, man, every one of them, we hike up to the top of that mountain. And what's great about it is I would have hours, literally hours to talk to them about whatever I wanted. They're going nowhere. They can roll their eyes as much as they want. They can like, uh, you know, whatever, but they're there. They're stuck. And so I got to like download. Um, and so my fourth son, when he turned 12, it was like, we got to do something big. This is the last hike, you know? And so I asked him, what do you guys want to do? And, and they're like, well, let's do it at night. I'm like, what? You don't want to hike a mountain in the middle of the night? And I just thought about it. I'm like, that sounds amazing. Let's do it. And so I picked a night in August of 2015, um, full moon, a night where it's supposed to be beautiful weather, and it was. And we take off at about 11 o'clock that night, um, and we hike up the mountain. And, and the first few miles is in trees, but then there's a point where you get up to the plateau uh, towards the base of the mountain, and it's just like the moon. You didn't, we didn't need our headlamps. I mean, it was so bright outside. It was absolutely incredible. Epic moment. Huge epic dad moment, by the way. FYI, guys, if you want one of those moments, do, do something like that. And, and so I was feeling pretty good about myself, and like this was, yeah, you know, I kind of took credit for it. This was all my idea. It wasn't, but I took credit for it. And then about halfway up the mountain, so we started actually climbing up the mountain itself, things started to change. The weather began to, the wind began to blow, the clouds began to roll in, the moon began to disappear, and within minutes, it's raining, hailing, sideways wind, it we barely can see in front of us, this is not, even with the headlamps, this is not good. I remember huddling at my boys on the side of the mountain going, guys, I don't know, I don't know if it's safe to go up, but I'm confident it's not safe to go down because we can't see. And so what do you guys want to do? Do you just want to hunker here and wait it out? And they were like, no, we got to get to the top, dad. We got to get to the top. And I'm thinking to myself, we're not getting to the top. <laughs> but they wanted to. They were like, let's do it. And so we just kept climbing and slowly trudging along. And we finally, we finally got to the top. And, and I want to tell you, like, you know, you know, what, what I imagined is I'm on that side of the mountain and the wind and the hail and all this. And I'm thinking, Jesus, do this for me, man. Like when we get to the top of this mountain, just like the wind, stop the wind, roll the clouds back, let the moon shine again. Because our hope was to get up there and the sun would start to rise. You know what I'm saying? And it would be this moment. It got worse. Literally got worse. By the time we get to the top of the mountain, I'm like, we're never getting off of this mountain. I don't know what we're going to do. By the way, we weren't prepared like physically for this moment. And I'll get back to that in just a moment. But fast forward, 
after that hike, a little less than a year later, um, my wife and I go to our office on June 16, 2016, Thursday morning. I remember it vividly. It's about 8.30 in the morning, about 9 o'clock that morning. Suzanne and I are sitting in our office, and we get a knock at the door, and three policemen are standing at the door, and that's never good. And they, I know one of them is a good friend of mine. They walk in and uh, tell us that our oldest son, Chase, who was 21, died that morning in a one-car accident on his way to work. The lights went out. Everything, everything changed in that one moment. The dreams, the visions, the future, everything just went dark. I went on a journey of questioning my faith. I was pastoring, by the way, this whole time. It's, it's a funny thing, but I remember just asking God why and why could you? And you know, I'd given my life to Jesus early on and I chose to serve him and give him my life. And been, I've traveled, my wife and I have been missionaries. We've done so much for him. You know, I was, I was reminding him of all of those things. How could you? Why did you? Why couldn't you stop it? I mean, all of this stuff that, and, um, as I thought about that today and I think about your stories, I think all of us have our own stories. What I found, as I told my story, is people, people would always say, well, it's not as bad as your story, but and they would tell us their story. And I, what I learned is that grief is grief. Loss is loss. And I stopped trying to grade it. And I would always say to people, don't, don't like, no, there's no loss worse than another loss. When you walk through any kind of valley, there's a sense of loss and grief. And whether it's financial collapse or the loss of a loved one, there's just, there, there, don't try to grade it. Just own it and say, like, this is where I am. And this is the loss that I feel. And I think all of us have experienced this. And, and you've been given permission over these last few weeks to, like, go ahead and look at it. Even if it's decades ago that something happened in your life and maybe you just never processed it or maybe it happened a week ago. One of the best metaphors that I, uh, that I heard during my lament season um, was, you know, in, when you go through trials, you're always trying to get to the light. Like the sun is kind of like you're chasing the sun. Imagine that, chasing the sun. You're trying to get there, and the sun is just out of reach, just kind of going down. And you're like, oh, I got to get before it sets, you know. And someone, and I read this, and so I said, lament is like turning around and going, walking through the darkness, and eventually, you're going to catch that sun on its way back up. You don't know how long, by the way, FYI, you don't know how long that season is. Uh, it varies time-wise for different people, different reasons. So you, you just, but it's that willingness to walk in the dark for a season in order to get to the light. Nicholas Walterstorff uh, wrote a book called Lament of a Son. And in it, he writes uh, this after the tragic death of his son. I shall look at the world through tears. Perhaps I shall see things that dry-eyed I could not see. And I love this book, Radical Trust by uh, Brennan Manning. I encourage you, Ruthless Trust, I encourage you to read this book. It's an amazing book. He writes these words, Only someone who has been there, who has drunk the dregs of our cup of pain, who has experienced the existential loneliness and alienation of the human condition, dares whisper the name of the holy to our unspeakable distress. Only that witness is credible and only that love is 
believable. So for a few moments, I want to whisper some things to you about what I've learned, what I am learning about lament, about how to walk in it and even through it, um, and to find in the midst of it some measure of joy. Um, And so if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to spend some time talking about Jacob, but as you get there, let me just say this, like, you know, if you grew up in the church like I did, um, and you've read, you know, you were taught the old Bible stories, right? You got Joseph, and you got Jonah, and you got Moses, you got all these great stories, right, that you read about, and and isn't it wonderful how you get to read all of it? Like, you get to read the challenges. Joseph was sold into slavery, and then you flip over three pages, and he, and he like, delivers Egypt. Isn't that awesome? That's not, your life is way more than three pages. But we love to remind people about the end when they're going through the beginning. And we don't allow each other as Christians to live in the in-between, the pages of struggle and doubt. Joseph in a prison wondering, God, where are you? Why have you? Why didn't you? But we quickly just read right through that stuff. But that's not the way our lives work. We struggle and we live in those pages. Decades sometimes. You know, we love the stories of crossing the Red Sea and we forget about the centuries of slavery. We love reading about crossing the Jordan River, but the decades, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, right? The resurrection without the cross. The power of the early church without the martyrdom of its first followers. See, what happens sometimes when life doesn't match up to the stories that we read about in the Bible, or at least they don't match up as quickly, what we do in that moment is extremely important. I've seen hundreds of people do one of two things. Some people will just tap out really fast. Like, okay, you say God is good, and then my experience is this. I'm, I'm done. I don't even want to. I don't even want to mess with that tension. And they tap out way too quickly. But then the other extreme is, especially we see this in the church, is that is that we just we we go so quickly to the end of the story. You know, the Sunday after Chase died, Thursday he dies. I'm coming to church on Sunday. I'm not preaching. Um, Somebody else is preaching, but I remember somebody coming up to me and the, the same person did this. They said, just remember, God is good. I'm like, okay, got any other wisdom for me? Thank you for that. Super helpful. I was a bit sarcastic. And then he said, at least you still have three sons. That's when I re-implemented excommunication in the church and, <laughs> and kicked his, you know what, out. No, um, no, no. People don't know what to say, and I get that, and I understand that. They're just trying to, they're trying to help. You know, okay, I get that, right? <laughs> There's a third option, though, between just tapping out and giving platitudes, Christian platitudes. There's, there's another option, and the third option, and I think we see this in the pages of the Bible from Job to Psalms to Jesus in the garden. Are people willing to cry out to God with their questions, with their doubts, with their uncertainties? 
and believe that he can take it and that he can help us with it. And we see it in Genesis chapter 32. We see, I don't think you would ever equate the story of Jacob wrestling with God to lament, but I believe it is another expression of lament that we see in the life of Jacob. So Jacob has lost his relationship with his brother Esau. For years, they have been uh, apart and haven't talked to each other. They haven't seen each other. Jacob gets, hears that Esau is bringing 400 men with him to find him. And Jacob is thinking, that can't be good. And so he's really afraid. He separates his family into two different groups just in case Esau gets one of them. He won't get all of his family. So he's in a real place of terror and, of, and uncertainty. And he prays this prayer of lament in Genesis 32, verse 9. Oh, God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, oh, Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives. Have you ever reminded God what he said? <laughs> God, just in case you forgot, Jesus, what you said, I want to tell you. And he, and he promised me I will treat you kindly. But then I love this. Jacob goes, but I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me. See, part of lament is not just reminding God what he said, but also reminding yourself of what he's done in the past. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid that he's coming to attack me along with my wives and children. And then, and then he sends everyone uh, on their way, and he's alone. Verse 22. So during the night, Jacob got up and, and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. And after taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. And this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. So he's all by himself, which sometimes happens when you're lamenting. I love that you're in a community and you always want to lean into community, but the reality is sometimes lament is lonely and isolating. Um, so you just kind of have to know that. Um, but then this guy shows up and we know this to be a manifestation of Jesus, right? And so this man is wrestling with Jacob until the dawn begins to break. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, let that sink in for a second. Jacob is wrestling with God, and, this, and God is like, I don't think I can win. This guy is really tough. He's not letting go. He is not giving up. So what, is, what does God do? <laughs> he touches Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. I just got to like throw the, that lame-o move, God. I mean, come on. We know you can do it. Well, you got to do it to win. I mean... Just sit in that for a second. I've preached this a few times, you guys. I've talked about this, and I, lightning is still yet to strike, so I think I'm safe talking about this. And I'm like, God, come on. Well, then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let go unless you bless me. What's your name, the man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you're going to be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. We like to focus on the winning. I like to focus on the fighting. Because I grew up in a church that you were never allowed to fight with God. You just take it. Whatever he throws out at you, 
Whatever he allows to happen in your life, you, out of submission to his lordship, you just live with it. Keep your mouth shut. It's interesting that this is in the Bible, the story. I just, I love it. And it really resonates with me. And, um, and so, beca- why? Because I decided after Chase died to bring it up and to not let go. So, well, Jacob asked him, um, what's your name? And the guy won't tell him his name. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied, then he blessed Jacob there and Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. (laughs) I love this. Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. That's just religion gone weird. I'm just telling you like, hey, how should we remember that moment? Well, let's not eat that tendon. I mean, that's just weird to me, but whatever. If If it helps to remember the story, great. When my boys were young, I would wrestle with them. Um, as they got older, I would keep increasing the intensity. Why? Because they love to get to that edge where they, they just, they knew I could hurt them, but I didn't. And it got to their point where they were like screaming sometimes with laughter, sometimes with like, <laughs> you know, I'd throw them across the room. Different. We would just wrestle. But I noticed that as they grow older, I had to, for them to experience the same thing they wanted to experience when they were little, I had to keep upping my, the intensity to get, for them to get the same experience. But then there was a certain point where now I'm about to, I'm about to be the one screaming and I'm like, okay, we got to redo this whole arrangement because they're way too big. But I, I loved wrestling and they were never afraid to wrestle me. They were nervous. They weren't really afraid, but most of us are afraid to wrestle with God, to get in the ring with him, to doubt, to ask questions, to cry out, I used to be scared to tell God what I actually thought. To be honest, I'm still a little nervous to do it because I know him and I know with one touch he can do stuff. I know that. But like Jacob, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let my relationship with God be led out of fear of what he might do or what he can do. I want my relationship with, with God to be, to be, to look like me and him holding on to each other and we won't let go. Reminds me of what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter four. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them, all the troubles, and will last forever. Our troubles won't last forever. I know they feel like they're gonna last forever. And remember, I'm whispering some things to you that I've experienced for myself. Our troubles won't last forever. So we don't look at the troubles, Paul writes, that we can see right now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. For me, that's Jesus. I keep my eyes on Jesus. I never give up. Even when we grow weary, which all of us do, 
We don't lose heart. And when you do lose heart, you keep coming back to him. I want to invite the worship team back up. And so easy when we see or experience suffering in this world to uh, an injustice and in our own lives and other people's lives to give up on God. I know this, it's easier to walk away from God than to stay in the ring with him. It's easier to tap out. And I thought about it. I looked down the path after Chase died of life without him. And there's nothing there. There's nothing there but more brokenness and more pain. There's no purpose in any of it. There's no relationship that is deepened out of it. So I chose to stay in it with him. And I'm not the same as a result of it. You can't see it, but I'm limping right now. And I will never walk the same. I will never think the same. I will never look at myself the same. I will never look at God the same. I will never look at my other sons the same. I am changed. And not all for the better either. I'm different now than I was five and a half years ago. But this I know, that I can bring my lament to him. I walk with a deeper intimacy with him than I ever have before. Huddling up on that mountain, at the top of the mountain, we, it was cold. It was so cold. And I don't like cold at all. I'm shaking. I'm so cold. My boys are like worried about me. I didn't know this until later. They're like, dad, you were really shaking. And we're like, I'm not sure you could get down this mountain, right? And I'm shaking. And I'm like, and I'm like, guys, and you know, I'm not a touchy feely guy. Um, I'm not like, you know, I don't, you know, I would wrestle. That would be our, our point of intimacy and physical contact. Um, but man, on top of that mountain, I'm like, guys, we got we to gotta huddle up. We had this little silver space blanket thing that's supposed to keep you warm. I don't know who made this or invented this. They don't work. Or at least the one I had was so bad. But we covered ourselves and we literally like on the top of spooning each other, like holding each other. And I'm shaking as one son is in front of me, one son is back of me, holding me, and I'm just like, there's never been a more intimate moment with my boys than that moment. I want to invite Drew up. I did this the last service. I wasn't sure I was supposed to do it, but I want to leave you a visual of what I'm talking about, and thanks, Drew, for doing this. And so I'm just going to just grab my shoulder like that. When we, uh, when we go through trials, this is not the image that most men or women have of a relationship with God. Most of us move away rather than in. But the 
there's in this point of intimacy, of contact, of like this is where life happens. This is where relationship happens. This is where we grow in God. This is where we learn about ourselves and about who he is. And it's this willingness to stay in this place no matter what, God, we are not leaving. We are not letting go. We're not gonna just tap out. We're in this. Close your eyes with me. And are you willing, willing to grab on to God and not let go? Are you willing to come to Jesus, to crawl into his lap as a little child and just simply weep or laugh or cry out or ask why or enjoy his presence, just be with him? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Jesus doesn't meet us just on the other side of our pain and lament. He meets us in it. He is here. The day the accident happened, my wife and I are sitting in our office and weeping and we don't know what else to do. We're just sitting there and a mentor of mine a guy named Ken Johnson, he used to pastor the church before me, comes into my office quietly and he just sits next to me. He puts his arm on my shoulder and I can just hear him whispering. He's not saying anything to me. He's just praying and weeping with us. And I'll never forget that image. It's an image for me of what God does in the midst of our lament. Where our tears are shared. It's a picture of God I never had seen before, of a God who sits with his kids when they're in pain and weeps with them. Grief and suffering are an invitation to deeper intimacy with Jesus and with one another. So as the team plays, would you simply come again to the feet of Jesus? The world doesn't need us to fake it. They need real, vulnerable, honest Christians willing to let the gospel be birthed from a place of authenticity and a place of lament. So Jesus, we run together to you. We sit together with you. We cry out to you together. Thank you for the, this being a safe place, a safe people where we can come with our pain and find you right there with us. Take me blind.
Father. That you're here, that you're ministering, that you're encountering our hearts. Even in that picture where we just feel like, I just have to sit, I can't move forward. That you encounter us in that place, Jesus. And sometimes we feel like, oh, this is, this doesn't look beautiful, you know, you meet me, you want me to have it all together. He's like, no, you can sit and I will come. So we thank you, Father, that you are here. And as we um, kind of transition out of this season, this series, I thank you for my friends. I thank you for my family that we've been willing to, to look at and face lament. That this would, um, that we would welcome these seasons I wish we could be like, this is, as Ryan said, this is, we're done. We're going to move on and we'll never have to face this again. We don't know. And lament is part of living and life. And um, so as a community, I'm just really thankful that we are in this together. That we can walk these roads. We can walk the depth we can experience his presence and experience his joy. And so as we transition into now, as we head into Thanksgiving and the holidays, I'm like, Jesus, how do we do this? But I, we can do this because he's with us. And today he's with us on Sunday. And even where it feels like, how, how are we gonna do Thursday? For me personally, he's like, let's not think about that yet. Just stay here on Sunday. I'm like, okay. I'm going to be grateful that I have my turkey today. And I'm going to be grateful that I have a reminder to take it out of the freezer tomorrow. And I'm also grateful because I know he will show up for each of us on Thursday and on Friday and on Wednesday as we're doing all the details. And so Jesus, we thank you that you are Emmanuel, you are God with us. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives individually, but as a community. We love you. And we are so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful Sunday and a wonderful week ahead. We will see you guys not next Sunday, but the following.